Well, as you can see, we are continuing to kind of sift through the book of Proverbs, looking for wisdom. As we do, we've been talking about life hacks. You know what life hacks are? You've seen these on the internet, these tips and tricks to make little parts of life go more smoothly. For example, if you're in the kitchen, you're doing some cooking, and you don't have a way to prop up your cookbook, how about a pants hanger? Go fail. Like, that's pretty good. Like, that's clever, right? That's really clever. Uh, or what if you are trying to light a candle, and you know how you get your lighter, and you get down there, and you burn your thumb every time? Just use a noodle. What? Look at this. Did you know noodles burn? I had no idea, right? And you can get that thing down there. You light that wick, blow it out, and then you got a snack, <laughs> right? At least one little part of it is cooked, and, and you'll be good to go so you can light a candle. Look, these are just, these are life hacks. These are tips and tricks to make little parts of life go more smoothly. But one of the things we're wondering, what if God had life hacks for us? Life hacks for life, for life, for big parts of life. And that's what we're looking for in Proverbs. I've challenged you guys to be reading a chapter of Proverbs a day. 31 chapters, days of the month, one per day. If you haven't done that, jump in tomorrow. It'll be the 18th day of the month. Read Proverbs 18 and keep going. We'll repeat it during December to do it twice because we want to soak. We want to steep in this ancient wisdom that it might infuse our lives. Jump in and do that throughout December. Now, some of well, what about Christmas? Look, you have the whole day off. You can read a chapter in the Word of God on, on the 25th, right? So don't stop there. And the reason why, the goal that we're looking for is we want to be more wise. And I challenge you, I said, listen, uh, 10 years from now, should the Lord let you live, 10 years from now, will you be 10 years more wise? There's no guarantee of that. You, you're guaranteed you'll be 10 years older. You're not guaranteed that you'll be 10 years more wise. And so we want God to speak into our life from his Proverbs. Last week, Alan did a great job taking on anger and speaking into that and getting some life hacks there. This week, I get to speak to you about envy. Envy and jealousy and coveting. I'll just talk in terms of envy. Maybe you've heard the phrase, green with envy. Have you ever heard that phrase? Somebody's green with envy. You know where that comes from? The ancient Greeks actually started it in the 5th century BC, so a long, long time ago. What they postulated is that when somebody got envious, they actually got sick. They, they believed that the body overproduced a yellowish-green bile. Ew. Okay, ew. But you, you got sick, and so you would turn like a greenish color, and that's what they thought about envy. Now, Shakespeare actually resurrected that for modern times in his play, Othello. And what he wrote in there, Othello was warned, Beware, my lord, of jealousy. It is the green-eyed monster which doth mock the meat it feeds on. Yeah, you didn't understand a word I just said, did you? Because you're uncultured heathens, right? And so, so you are probably more at the speed of ABC's television series, Once Upon a Time. And uh, some of you have seen that. Here is Zelina from Once Upon a Time. You can see she is green. If you're not familiar with the TV show, it's a really clever show where it takes some of these fairy tale characters and puts them in another time and place and kind of gives you the rest of the story. It's really clever. And, and Zelina, her character, she's the Wicked Witch of the West from Oz. 
If you grew up and you saw the movie Oz, you, maybe you remember the witch was green, and we never knew why. Why is she green? What we find out from Zelina's character is that she turns green with envy over her sister. She is sick in her soul. Envy is a sickness you turn green. In fact, ABC was really clever with this. The name Zelina in some Slavic languages means green. Kind of clever of them, right? But here's the thing. We don't want ABC's wisdom. (laughs) We want God's wisdom. Now, in this case, they line up together. Look with me, if you will, at Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but, but, and here it is, look at this, but envy rots the bones. Basically, you're sick. It's rotting your life. This is a disease in your life. I'm going to be talking today about envy being a sickness. Now, whenever we talk about sickness, there's symptoms on the surface that we notice first, right? But that leads us then to look under the surface and say, what's the cause down deep that's causing those symptoms? And based on diagnosing the cause, then we can prescribe a cure. So I'm going to talk about symptoms of envy and the cause of envy and the cure. All right, so first let's talk about some symptoms. One of the first symptoms that came to mind for me is the fact that we buy lots of crap. Uh, And we do. Sociologists would tell us that most of our purchases are made out of envy in modern society. Like when you spend $300 on some headphones called Beats, you just got to know that you can buy just as good of headphones for 50 bucks. Why 300s? Well, envy is at work there. Now listen, I told you the first week, There's no rule against buying $300 headphones. You want to, giddy up. But wisdom is oftentimes about knowing the right thing to do even when there's not a clear biblical rule. Envy often leads to overspending in our lives. Okay, ladies, Target, right? Okay, gentlemen, you can relate to this meme right here. See, I had to give you time to read his sign, right? (laughs) Not homeless, wife in Target, for two hours, please help. Oh, I'm sorry, brother, here you go, man. (laughs) Right? Uh, Listen, so envy leads us to buy a lot of stuff. Uh, But here's another symptom that comes with envy, and that is discontentment. Even with the stuff we buy and have, we're still discontent. I used to have a VW Jetta. I love that car. You know how sometimes you got like beater cars and then you take a jump in, into a car like it's nicer than you've usually had? That was my VW Jetta. It was pitch black. It was in great shape. It had a moonroof, beautiful interior. It had some pep to it, some giddy up. I loved driving that car uh, until I bought a truck and gave it to Caleb and he folded it up within months. <sighs> Sigh. Uh, part of my pain there. That's not the story I want to tell. So, um... When I was driving that VW, I loved that car. That was my favorite car. I just really, really enjoyed that car. But here's what happened. Shannon and I were going to go on a weekend getaway down to Amish country. Don Sitz, who owns the, owner, the uh, dealership on Route 8, he's a friend of mine. I know him. Don said, hey, uh, swing by before you leave. And as I did, he handed me the keys to a car that I could borrow for free for the weekend. It was a Camaro. <laughs> Cherry red, perfect condition convertible, stick shift, 
Talk about some pep and some giddy up. Oh, my goodness. Uh, that car was awesome. It was so fun to drive. And what I noticed is right away when I started driving it, I hadn't even got back home to pick up Shannon. I'm going, I wonder how much this costs. I wonder if I could afford this car. I love this car. Now, notice I had totally forgotten about my VW like that. I went from joy to discontent in 4.2 seconds, which is the zero to 60 time of that Camaro, right? Not that I know, not admitting that, but uh, yeah, like we get discontent with what we have really, really quick. And uh, there is a third symptom that I've noticed, and that is the symptom of comparison. Envy is based on comparison. Without comparison, there is no envy. And the way we can get at that is this phrase right here. I am content with my blank. You fill in the blank. I'm content with my blank until I see your blank. Right, let's, let's fill that, those blanks in a little bit and get some idea of what I'm talking about here. So I am content with my looks until I see your looks, right? So maybe it's your clothes, maybe your jewelry, Maybe the way you do your hair. For some of you guys, maybe it's the way that people have hair. <laughs> I don't do with that what you will. Uh, but your figure, your shape, whatever. Like, I'm totally content with how I look until I see how you look. You see, it's not about me. It's about you. It reminded me of Snow White, that fairy tale. You know, in, in Snow White, it captures it well. Because if you've ever seen it, the, the evil queen is always cast as a very beautiful woman. She's a gorgeous woman in her own right. But what happens is that stupid mirror says this. My queen, you are the fairest here, so true. But Snow White is a thousand times more beautiful than you. And it burns her. It burns her. Because envy is not about what I have. It's about what someone else has. Looks is one of those. How about house and furnishings? I'm content with mine until I see someone else's. You ever watch HGTV? Don't. <laughs> Don't, right? Because it's like, I mean, we just turn green with envy. Like I'm watching somebody flip house, remodel. It's so gorgeous. And I'm not happy for them. I'm not thinking about somebody else that would be blessed by it. I want that. I was totally fine with my house until I turned on that channel, right? Or how about cars, trucks? Talked about my VW and, and envying that Camaro. Notice I left motorcycle off the list. It strikes too close to home. <laughs> Moving on, right? Not going to talk about it, right? How about a TV? Nobody sits in their own living room and is discontent with their own TV. What happens is they go to somebody else's house who has a bigger TV or a better resolution TV, and now I'm discontent. It's not about what I have. It's about what you have. That's envy. Now we're going to get a little bit more real about your spouse. Marital satisfaction would skyrocket if we just got rid of comparison, right? Think how it went down in the Garden of Eden. There is Adam and there is Eve, and that's it, right? Eve was literally the most beautiful woman on the face of the planet. It was Eve or a giraffe. Eve wins! Every time, right? But what happens is eventually other women came into the human population and now comparison can be done. Uh-oh. Uh, and know this, it's not just about looks. Some of you men 
are wildly romantic and creative and you're posting about it on social media, stop it. You're killing the rest of us, right? Because comparison can be done on things other than looks when it comes to spouses. I'm content with mine until I see yours. What about kids? They don't like to admit this as parents, but it's true. Now, we love our kids unconditionally. We're proud of our kids. I'm proud of my kids. But the reality is then we find out about your kids' accomplishments and abilities and, huh, just me? Okay, just me. Um, What about uh, salary, bonus, compensation? I am totally fine with my company's compensation of me until I find out that the same company pays you how much? It's not about what I have. It's about what you have. And now envy sets in. How about gifts and abilities? This happens to me as a preacher. I'm totally fine with my giftings and ability as a preacher until I go on the internet. And I see some wildly gifted men at at preaching God's word. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, dang. Now, don't misperceive. I'm not fishing for compliments. Please don't do that to me. That'll feel gross to both of us, okay? That's not, you'll ruin the sermon, okay? That's not what it's about. I'm just being honest with you that I can be totally content with my gifts and abilities until I see someone else. And I'll bet you're the same way. That's how envy works. And of course, the catch-all category is, I am content with my life until I see your life. How do I see your life? On social media, right? Social media. I came across this uh, quote recently. It says, don't let scrolling through other people's lives trick you into thinking yours is not good enough. Of course, ironically, I found that on social media, right? But nonetheless, uh, it is really, really wise and true. As we go through Proverbs, it contrasts wisdom with foolishness. Do you know the Hebrew word in Proverbs for foolishness can be better translated as social media? Yeah, I made that up. That's not true. But you get the idea. Like it is just, that is the way it is. And we compare lives. And I was fine with my life until I saw yours on Facebook. And that's the way it works. Envy is based on comparison. It's not about what I have. It's about what you have. And understand this. Once you get more, you're not content, right? As soon as you get to that next level that you've been envying, you set your sights on the next level up. And so we're never content. We're never happy. And we just envy the next level. That's what happens to us. Proverbs predicts this. Chapter 27, verse 20 says this. Death and destruction are never satisfied, and neither are human eyes. We're never satisfied. We're always looking at bigger and better, and so it goes on and on, never content, never satisfied, never joyful, always envious of the next guy. And there's no joy in that. Teddy Roosevelt said it well when he said, comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is a thief of joy. It steals joy every time. It's a loser game. You never win. The only way you win is to not play the game. See, here's here's how I understand envy. As I was thinking about it this week, here's how I wrapped my brain around it. Look at these bullet points. I used to like what I have until I saw that you have more. Now, I don't like what I have anymore. But I also don't have what you have. So, I don't get more stuff, I just get less joy. 
Envy never gives me more. It only gives me less. See how it's a loser game? When you envy, you don't get more. You just get less. You get less contentment, less joy, less gratitude. Envy doesn't give you more. It only gives you less. That's a terrible symptom. Those are the symptoms that I've been talking about in, of this sickness, this disease of envy. Now what I want to do is look beneath the surface and go, okay, what, what's the cause down there? to this disease, these symptoms. Proverbs gives us a hint toward that in chapter 23, verses 17 and 18. Here's what it says. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. There is surely a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. That beginning thought there, to be envious of sinners... That's like echoed all throughout Proverbs. Be envious of evil people. Don't be like them. Don't envy them. Uh, And then you'll see that in chapter 3, verse 31, uh, chapter 24, verse 1, verses 19 and following. It's, It's in there. And the idea is that we are envying the wrong people. Why? Why in the world would we as children of God ever have to be told to not envy sinners? What is going on there? What's happened is down underneath the surface, we've lost perspective. We've lost the big picture. We've missed out on what life is all about. Down deep, we've come to the conclusion that life is about this world, worldly stuff, right? Listen, nobody ever gets envious over spiritual things. His Bible is so much bigger than mine. It's his TV, right? I mean, it's just that, that's the way it goes. We've lost perspective. We've lost the big picture. We, we are forgetting what life is all about. Instead of knowing that it is about God and it is about eternity, instead we are longing for the things of this world. And check this out. Who has a corner on the things of this world? Sinners. And so we st- find ourselves envying Sinners, believing sinners have the good stuff. And our life unravels from there, from there because we are sick with envy. But notice something, that's just the first line. Look at the contrast in the second line. It says, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Now that's a huge clue to the cause of envy. Because what's going on down underneath the surface, we've not only lost the big picture... But our relationship with God is off track in some way. Think about this. Who is the very first one to ever envy? Satan. Satan. If if you know some of the history there, what happened? Satan was like the chief angel in heaven, but he was envious of God's glory. He was envious of God's position. He wasn't content with what he had. It's not about what I have. It's about what he has. And so he ended up rebelling and getting kicked out of heaven. He went from lead angel to lead demon. That's where Satan came from, envy. And then he slithered into the garden. And what was his play with Eve? Envy. God's got the goods. God ain't sharing them with you. And if you just take from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. That's envy. He tempted her with envy. And so she and her husband, when Adam took that bite, he was responsible. And so sin crashed in. Envy is a part of original sin. And then they started having kids. How'd that go? They have two sons, Cain and Abel. 
First generation of sons born on earth. Cain ends up envying his brother Abel and kills him. Fratricide. Brother killing brother right out of the gates. By the way, do you think the world's getting worse? I, I don't think so. Uh, I, I, I don't think so. I think the world is just bad. And it's always been bad. I mean, the very first generation of children, you have brother killing brother over something like envy. The world's just been bad from the beginning of the fall, and it's going to be bad until Jesus comes back. Ain't getting better, ain't getting worse. It's just bad. And it all started with envy. See, we tend to think of envy as this small little sin, like this tame little thing. But envy's kind of a big deal. Because when we go there, we are clearly, we're off track in our relationship with God, and we're lacking perspective. To try to fix that just a little bit, uh, let's look at some big picture right here. Some bullet points for you. First of all, God is God, and I am not. Okay, that's big picture perspective right there. God is God, and I am not. And the second bullet point is that we have all messed up, and we deserve hell. I'll pause on that for a second, because think how this crashes into envy. Okay, when you have a big, bigger TV than I do, but I deserve hell and I'm not in hell and I'm watching my TV, I'm doing okay, right? Right, but, but what happens is we forget what we actually deserve and somehow I think I deserve your TV. I forgot, no, I deserve hell. I'm on the bonus plan. Third bullet point is that this is a broken and fallen world, which means this world is not our hope. This world is not our goal. This is not where we hang our hat. It's not our end. Of course, that we get out of this broken world at some point because of the next bullet point. We have the cross. We have the resurrection. We have a promised eternity in paradise. It's going to be awesome. And all of it is by grace. We don't deserve a stitch of any of that. You look at that next bullet point. The goal is sanctification, not stuff. Which means God might, in his wisdom, might know that for me to grow in sanctification, he's got to take some things away so I depend on him. But with you, he might say the way for you to grow right now is he's going to bless you so that you rejoice in him. See, it's not about stuff. It's about sanctification while we're still here on this earth. And God knows exactly what to do and for whom to do it. That's because of the next bullet point. God is sovereign. Which means that there's nothing that I have that God didn't sovereignly decide to give it to me. There's also nothing that I lack except that God sovereignly decided to take it from me. God is sovereign in that moment and I'm totally okay with it. And the reason why that last bullet point, God is joy, God is life. And if we can get there, oh my goodness. I mean, after all, look up at those bullet points if you will and let your eyes just kind of glance over that big picture. And ask yourself this. If you maintain that perspective, what happens to envy? It's gone. It's gone. You see, this is the disease that is causing the symptoms. We've totally lost perspective. We're off track in our relationship with God. All that glitters is not gold. Not at all. God is trying to give us the very best stuff. The last bullet point right there, God himself, he's the gift. In him is joy, in him is life. And we're looking at him and we're going, meh, I'd like a bigger TV. See that? 
We're like ignorant little children. You know you can scam a little kid out of a nickel every time? Don't do this, right? My pastor told me this trick. Don't do it, all right? But here's the thing. If a kid has a dime, offer him a nickel. The nickel's bigger. The nickel's shinier. The nickel's heavier. And that kid will go, ooh, yeah, that's us. Instead of the most valuable stuff God himself, we trade up for worldly stuff, and we actually lose. We're like ignorant kids. God is trying to give us the best stuff. That's a very big part of the cause. Now, I want to give you another angle on the cause of the disease of envy. As we look beneath the surface here, let's go back and talk about Cain and Abel again. What happened for Cain is he got off track in his relationship with God, but because of that, he ended up off track in his relationship with those around him. And so instead of a brotherly love with his brother, Abel, he became a competitor with him. You see, a broken relationship with God means broken relationships with others. After all, think about this. If, if I remain under the sovereignty of God, I keep the big picture, how much stuff is enough? That's easy to answer. However much God gives me. Done, right? Right? But when I move out from under the sovereignty of God, how do I answer the question, how much stuff is enough? More than you. Every time. I just need to have more than you, and then it's enough for me. More than you. And so now we have become competitors instead of companions. We're at opposite with each other. This is the effect of the sin of envy. We are not companions. We are competitors. But listen, understand this. I'm going to guess right now you're struggling in life. I, I'm, I'm not like some freaky psychic. It's just the human condition. Every last one of us knows life is hard, and you think it's just you, but you got to know everyone around you is feeling the exact same way. And we're in this hard life together. We ought to view it as a journey that we're on together, and we ought to be companions and helping each other out, but we're not. We're competitors trying to take from each other out of envy. Now I can't cheer as you succeed. So I've got this broken relationship with God that leads to broken relationship with each other. And so now you win, that means I lose. If I win, that means you lose. And so I'm going to lift myself up, even if it means I have to step on your head to get there. That's the effect of envy right there. That's how we got there. Now I've noticed something interesting about running races. Not that I run them. I've watched other people run them, right? And one of the things I've noticed, the shorter the race, the more they're competitors. The longer the race, the more they're companions. So like you think about a sprint. A sprint is all about who got across the line first. They are total competitors. My daughter, when she got to middle school, she tried out cross country. That was a really different environment for me to be around athletically because the, they cheered each other on. As they ran this 5K like once they crossed the line, they would circle back and they would line up and cheer people as they're coming down, not just their own teammates, the other schools. You can do it, man. Hurry up. You're almost there. The longer the race was, they had this tendency to cheer each other on. Then you get into marathons. And marathons, like there's some people that are struggling to make that 26.2. And so you're cheering them on and you just want everyone to finish. You're just glad if everyone finishes. It gets even worse if you go to a triathlon. 
You know, most people will not finish that. And so it's just, we're in this together. And if somehow I can help you down the road, I'm going to do it. Let's get across the line together. We're in it together. And then you get these ultra marathons, these sick freaks <laughs> that run 100 miles. Like, that's just insane. They are, com they are not competitors. They are companions. And they are in it together. I don't care if you finish before me. Let's just hope we can both finish today. See, the longer the race gets, the more they become companions instead of competitors. Do you know what the longest race in the world is? It's called life. And we're all running it right now. And, and, and we ought to be in each other's courts, like cheering each other on. We ought to be companions, not competitors. But unfortunately, we treat life like it's a sprint. I win as you lose. If you win, I lose. We're against each other. Man, no. We've got to understand that we are all fellow strugglers trying to get through this very difficult, hard life. We should be cheering each other on. Man, wouldn't it be sweet if we got that? Unfortunately, I think we are, we are treating life as if it is a contest, a competition, and we are competitors. But what if? What if instead we went towards this perspective right here? That life is about surviving, not surpassing each other. We're, we're, we're just trying to survive together. Know that everyone around you is trying to survive life right now. And we're trying to surpass them. Really? What if we are fellow adventurers, not adversaries? What if it was about finishing, not fighting? What if we were companions, not competitors? Life is long and difficult for all of us. And we as the children of God, as disciples of Christ, ought to find our satisfaction in Him. We would have zeal for the fear of the Lord. That's the love of God, the, the respect of God. We find our hope and satisfaction in Him. That frees us then. Because we got the big picture. Now we're free to cheer other people on. You, you win in this world. I, here's my big TV. I'll take the small one. You go ahead, man. I'm going to just cheer each other on. If we get that, you know what happens to envy? It's gone. Remember the show Gilligan's Island? Did I just date myself? Yes, I did. I did, okay? It's that story of the, you know, they're shipwrecked on that deserted island. And there's very much a sense when a group is shipwrecked on an island that they're in it together, right? We need each other. That I don't care if your hammock's better than mine. Like, how are we going to get through this and get rescued together? We're companions, not competitors. That's the way that this life ought to work. You understand, we are all shipwrecked on a broken world. And we're in it together. One of the worst things to happen to our society over the last 20 years is a show called Survivor. I know, you're all Survivor fans, aren't you? You think what happened there, though? Instead of the Gilligan's Island mentality of we're in it together, we're competitors. And my goal is to vote you off the island. I win as you lose. And that is such an unfortunate picture, but an accurate picture of what we've done on this island, the world. And we are, instead of helping each other out, we are against each other, trying to vote each other off the island out of envy. It's tragic. These are the causes of the sickness of envy. This broken big picture. We've lost the big picture. A broken relationship with God and a broken relationship with each other. Now let's take a moment and talk about the cure. For the cure, I want to go back to Proverbs 14, verse 30. Look at this. 
A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Now, we've looked at the second part, that envy is a sickness, that it rots our lives. But look at that first line. A heart at peace gives life to the body. That's a restored relationship with God. That's where we regain the big picture. That's where we're submitted to his sovereignty. I'm satisfied in him. I'm content in him. Now I'm free. I can bless others. My heart is at peace. That's where we want to be. Now to get there, I'm going to give you some very practical life hacks for envy. Number one, I want you to, when you are feeling envy well up within you, remind yourself of the big picture. Remind yourself particularly of what you deserve. See, in that moment, you think you deserve that bigger, better thing. I want you to remind yourself what you deserve is hell. Everything past that's a bonus plan. Renew your mind. Secondly, keep a gratitude journal. Suggested this before. Some of you have done it. Really helpful for some of you. Get a journal. Write down at least 10 things every day for which you're grateful. What you got to do is train your heart off of, I need more, I want more. I'm dissatisfied until I get more. And train your heart onto, thank you God for what I have. It's gratitude. Thirdly, when you're feeling envy well up within you, ask yourself this question. If I did not see blank, would I be satisfied with what I have? I mean, really, when I'm driving that Camaro, I got to say, listen, if I didn't drive this Camaro, would I be satisfied with my VW? Oh, oh yeah, I would. Oh, okay, there it is. All right, fourth and last life hack, and I'll spend just a tad more time on this one. I want you to lift others up. Lift others up. What if you had a passionate mission in life to see how much you can bless and give to other people and lift them up instead of taking for yourself. See, that's a companion, not a competitor mentality right there. I want to help you finish the marathon. I want to help you finish before me. That's great. Go, man. Proverbs 11.25 says this. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. As you water other people, somehow in this weird way in the economy of God, your part soul ends up getting a drink. Because we shifted from competitors to companions. I've told you before that if money has a grip on your soul, the way you break that grip is through generosity. You've got to give money away. Envy is similar. When envy has a grip on your soul, the way you break that grip is you lift others up. You want better for them than for you. If you start lifting others up, watch what happens to envy. That is the way we get it done. Now, for you to feel that, I want to show you a commercial. Now, strangely, it's a Quaker Oats commercial, which is just weird. But, uh, but you'll see, you'll get a little taste for what it means, what it could feel like, what it could be like if we just lifted each other up. Watch this.
Cut it off before it started trying to sell us Quaker Oats. <laughs> Isn't that a great video? Man, that's the way I want to live. That's the way life should be. Did you notice in the video, everyone was having a hard day? Take it for granted. Everyone's having a hard day. And what if we got, we're, we're the people of God, satisfied in Him, therefore freed up, and we can just get busy on a mission of blessing people like crazy, of lifting them up? I don't need more. I don't need what you have. I'm, I'm good. Can I just bless you? If you get busy doing that, watch what happens to envy. Poof. And for that, let me pray. Lord, uh, we are really grateful that we get to be your kids such that we can find our joy and our hope and our satisfaction in you alone. But if we're honest before you right now, Lord, we don't. Oh, that's hard to say, but we don't. And what we do is we crave the silly, stupid stuff of this world, just like the children of this world, and we find ourselves envying sinners, and it's, it's ridiculous. Father, would you retrain our hearts and our minds to embrace the big picture, to understand that life is about you. You are our joy, you are our hope, you are our love, and therefore we're free. Free to just bless others, to love, love others, to lift others up. And would you take us as your people on a wild mission this week particularly, that we would just go for lifting others up and watch what happens to envy in our lives. Lord, break that grip, please. And I pray in Christ's name, amen.